Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. All right, pretty exciting stuff. We are in the middle of the story. And we're learning and growing. How many are enjoying this series and growing in the Lord? How, well, you should be with us now on chapter 7. And so you've been reading along, following along in the story. And we're getting ready to move and cross the Jordan River and move into the promised land. And so this is a very exciting time for all of us. We're going to look at how we can conquer our giants. There's giants in that land. There's walled cities in the land. But there are promises and blessings God has for us. If you're new with us today, if you're visiting today for the first time, we welcome you guys. And we have copies of the story out front. You can pick up a copy. I think it's, a, it's really cheap. And uh, follow along with us every week. And uh, learn and grow together. And so if you're just starting this morning with us or just the last few weeks, don't worry about going back and cover the first six chapters. You can just start where we're at right now. Get involved in one of our home groups. Uh, our children are doing the same thing in the back. And so as you head home today, you can talk about the great stories they're learning as we're learning and growing together in God's word. Conquering giants. How do we do it? We started out the story. As you study the story, you, you get a sense of God's plan of redemption all the way throughout time. It's, it's laid out there. It follows along from Genesis all the way to the end. God has a plan to dominate this world with his grace. God loves you. And he set a plan of redemption in motion even before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. That's how much God loves you. And then he would take a man by the name of Abraham. And he would bring his blessings through a nation. And through Abraham, a nation would be born. And he gave him a promise. And he said, you see the land all around you? I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be your land. I want you to possess the land. It's the promise that I have for you. And yet it would be 600 years later before they would come back and stand on the brink of the promise that God had given to Abraham 600 years earlier. You see, you see a lot of types and metaphors in the Word of God. And, and, and as we've looked at the story and we've kind of gone through it together, uh, you saw how that when they offered the sacrifice to get the children of Israel out of bondage, out of their uh, captivity, and bring them out across the Red Sea, when they, they had to slay a lamb. And then when that blood was slain, they took the blood and they put it on the top of the door and on the sides of the door. And he said, wherever I see the blood, I will pass over. How many know that Jesus Christ today is our Passover? And the blood has already been spilt on Calvary. And if we'll put our faith in him, he'll take every sin away that we've ever done. And then the Bible says how they took them through the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. And that's a type, the Bible says, of our water baptism. And when they were out in the wilderness, the Bible says every morning they got up and there was manna on the ground and they would pick up that manna. You know what the Word of God says? It says the mercies of God are new every morning. It's a type of God's provision and blessing in our life. And now we come to the Jordan River the promised land. And I believe that's a metaphor for God wanting us to possess his promises. God has promises for us in his word. God has promised blessings for us in his word. And so as we talk about obtaining the promised land, we are really talking about obtaining all the promises of God. And yet I will tell you, there's some giants in our lives that may need to come down. If we're going to realize the promises, we've got to take care of the giants. And there are giants of anger that we deal with. There are giants of bitterness we deal with. There are giants of pride and lust. And these giants need to come down so we can experience all the fullness that God wants to experience in our lives. Promises of God. It's going to require warfare. It's going to require battle, conflict along the way if we're going to lay hold of all the possessions that God has for us. Have you ever heard the expression, when I get on the other side of the Jordan, almost like that's an expression of heaven. 
lot of people use the promised land as a metaphor of getting into heaven. The only problem is it doesn't fit in with Scripture. Because the book of Joshua is all about conflict. I want to tell you, when we get into heaven, there'll be no more conflict. You don't earn heaven. It's a free gift of God's grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't uh, uh, merit it in any way, shape, or form. And so when we talk about entering into the promised land, it's not about when I die and I get to heaven. It's about what God wants to do in our lives right now. He wants to bring us into that place of blessing and that place of promise in our own lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3 says, and, it started, and this is right at the opening of the book of Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In other words, he writes to the Ephesian church and says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms right now with every single spiritual blessing. And then he comes down to the end of the book of Ephesians and he says in Ephesians 6 and 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes on to describe the armor of God that it will take to possess the promises of God. In other words, the word says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but we have to put on God's armor. We have to go into spiritual warfare so we might obtain every blessing God has for us. It's done through warfare. And then so, so Ephesians kind of mirrors what Joshua is talking about. Joshua is a manual for possessing the promises of God. In fact, the key word in the book of Joshua is the word possess. How do we possess those promises. How do we possess every promise in the word of God? Stand with me and let's read Joshua chapter 1. Give you this key on how we possess the land of promise. The blessings that God has for us. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses aid. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that great to know? That when we're moving out to possess that land God has for us, God will go with us. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. He repeats it again. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How many want to be prosperous and successful? Let me see your hand. This word's for us today. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Father, today as we open up your word, open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. We thank you, God. There are promises in your word. We're thankful, God, that you desire to bless us. Now I pray that, God, we as your church and we as your people will move in and possess those promises you have for us. I thank you for your word. May it find fertile ground in our hearts and lives, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome this morning, and then you may be seated. How do we, in our life, possess the land of promise? 
the place of blessing. How, how do we do that in our own lives? Well, let, let me give you a couple of things that you're going to need to get down today if you're going to possess God's promises. First of all, he says, be, very, be strong and very courageous. In fact, to get the point across to Joshua, he says it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The word strong carries the idea to seize or fasten upon. Now listen to me. You can't do it by yourself. If you're going to move into the place of God's promise, then you've got to lay hold of God's strength. So when he tells us to be strong, he is telling us to lay hold of God. Lay hold of God's strength. The word courageous carries the idea to be alert to be steadfastly minded, or to be established. In other words, once you lay hold of the Lord's strength, don't let go. Hang on. Never let go of God. Be very strong and be very courageous in the Lord. Now, to be strong and courageous, he gives us a few things that we need to do. Number one, we need to uh, uh, lay hold of God's promises. Lay hold of God's promises. Uh, look at verse number two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now for you to move forward, for you to lay hold of God's promises, you've got to let go of the past. And he starts out right at the very outset of this incredible book of Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. How many know that regrets can hold you back? You can look at your regrets. You can look at your failures. You can say, if I'd only done this. Remember the the movie where the the guy says, I could have been someone. I could have been a contender. Or if only I didn't lose my job. Or if only I hadn't messed up. Or if only I hadn't lost this loved one in my life. Uh, Or if only my parents had done better. If only I had a better childhood or a better upbringing. Uh, And and all of us... uh, can look back and at some time or another, we've all experienced these blockades in our life, these detours, uh, these disappointments that have come our way. And what happens is if we will let it, it will cause us to be afraid to dream. I failed in the past. I've had this hardship in the past. And so we quit reaching out for God's future, God's promise that he has before us because we're hung up in the past. And so right away, right out of the gate, he says, Moses is dead. Now, now, Moses was a er- remarkable leader. And you can imagine now that Joshua is taking the leadership charge over the children of Israel, a huge shadow that Moses cast over the life of Joshua. And sometimes if we are not careful, the shadows of our yesterday will block the sunlight of God's preferred future for our lives. Our predecessors can shape us and cast a shadow over us but god won't allow us to blame our yesterdays on what he wants to do tomorrow we're great on making excuses we're great on blaming yesterdays we're great on referring back to the past and if only this hadn't happened if only i didn't have this bad break and if only this didn't occur in my life but he says moses is dead he's dead as great as he was he's dead the past is over It's time to move into the land I am about to give you. The danger is that we'll let our past dominate our future. And if you're not careful, you can get trapped in a cycle of bitterness and anger. And that bitterness in your life uh, towards other people, towards circumstances, or even towards God uh, can keep you from moving forward with God. It'll be a blockade that will always be there. It will be a giant that will always keep you from possessing the land that God has for you. Because what happens is we want to search for someone to blame. I'm like I am because my mom and dad were like that. Or because they did this to me. And what happens is that regret from the past can be like concrete, quick-setting concrete, that uh, that gathers around our feet and keeps us from moving forward. We can't move anymore because we're so busy blaming our past. And it keeps us from moving forward in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ, in him, the past can be 
washed away. The past can be removed. Just like under Joshua, it was a new day. It was a new era. Listen, when you come into the Lord Jesus Christ, old things pass away, all things become new. And God would say to us today, we can't blame or hang on to the past. Listen to Genesis 2 and 20, or Galatians 2 and 20, excuse me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our sins, the Bible says, were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. So therefore, anything that's going to restrict my life, or limit my tomorrow has been canceled by the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. The old man's gone. The past is gone. The sorrow's gone. The agony's gone. The hurt's gone. The pain's gone because I'm crucified with Christ Jesus. The starting point for possessing tomorrow means that I have got to come to terms uh, with any part that may be buried with Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you what that is not doing. It doesn't merely mean repressing bad or painful memories. Because if you in your own strength try to just repress all the bad memories and you cram them all down, all you're doing is forcing the pain of your past to go deeper in your life. And you push it down, And you push it down, but pretty soon it becomes like that trash can you're trying to put the trash down into. Eventually, it gets so full up, it kind of explodes and the lid comes off and all the trash goes everywhere. And so, if you're trying to repress your memories or force the pain deeper, it never works. And so, at any point, that can be easily triggered and it all comes back up to the surface. And it keeps re-emerging in your life. It keeps coming back in different forms in your life. Anger, resentment, whatever it may be, bitterness, it all keeps coming back. But when you understand my past is buried with Christ Jesus and it's handled in the power of the cross, that's totally different. That's not just repressing my bad memories. Uh, I handle my past under the power of Calvary. uh, Therefore, my future is ready to be resurrected in him. And so I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now I live in the power of the cross. In the power of Jesus Christ. In freedom and in grace because now Christ is in my life. And it changes everything. Notice he also says in this passage, Moses, my servant, is dead. Do you realize that the past can be God's servant in your life? The past is God's servant in your life. Those disappointing details of the past can literally be used by God to serve your best interest. Everything that has happened in our life, God can take it. And he says in Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things, the good things, and even the bad things, can work together for good to those who love the Lord. To those who are called according to his purposes. You may have had a rough past, a very difficult past, a challenging past. And yet that past can be God's servant to mature you for war. That past can be God's servant to teach you how to comfort others uh, when they're going through their trial and their affliction. Uh, That past can be God's servant to mold and shape your life to make you more sympathetic and more understanding and more grace-filled as you reach out to other people. Uh, God's past is his servant to develop and mold your life. Incredible thought. How many ever heard the expression, all the cards were just stacked against me? Any card players in here, you get the bad hand. It seems like every single time you're playing, the hand comes. It's a bad hand. I want to tell you, God doesn't play cards. Didn't know if you knew that or not. And he doesn't play games with your destiny. To allow disappointments to make God your enemy... To allow you to become angry with God literally walls off the very best friend you have in your life, and that's God. When we carry bitterness to God, 
or other people, we lose sight of today and we never move into God's place of promise. Bitterness will keep you from moving in to God's promise. And so he starts out with Moses, my servant is dead. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, Now then, because Moses is dead, get ready and cross over the Jordan River. It's time to move forward. It's a good word. And then he says in verse 5, if we're going to lay hold of the promises, he says, fight the good fight. Now, what you see in the history of Israel is you are moving from Israel in the wilderness. They were sojourners there. They were travelers there. They were moving throughout the wilderness. They moved from being sojourners to now they become soldiers. And now they're moving into battle. And now they're equipped for warfare. Listen, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you enlisted into his army. We like the analogies of the family. That makes us feel good. We don't like to talk about being soldiers. But every single one of us are in a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual battle that is going on. Joshua would be their commander-in-chief. The name Joshua means God saves. In the Greek language, the same word Joshua could be translated Jesus. Jesus Christ is our commander-in-chief. And and just as Joshua would lead the people into the promised land to possess the inheritance, Jesus himself will bring us into our inheritance and our place of blessing and the promises of Almighty God. But I will tell you, it will involve warfare. It means laying hold of the spiritual blessings uh, that God has for us, uh, and we obtain that through spiritual warfare. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God. In verse number 12, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want to tell you, the victory's already been won. When Jesus Christ gave his life on Calvary, he's already won the victory for us. But he says, there comes a time when you've got to lay hold of God's victory, lay hold of God's promises, and that happens through spiritual warfare. Leave the past behind and fight the good faith. Lay hold of God's promises. And then the second thing I believe God wants us to do, and we find this in Scripture in verse 7 and 8, we've got to lay hold of God's pattern. If you're going to understand the promises of God, if you're going to come to know that place of joy and fulfillment in your life, you've got to follow God's pattern. Let me read those two verses for you. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will have be prosperous and successful. Now, God had confirmed his word to Moses through signs and wonders. And you saw this throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They didn't have a book of the law. But Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He got the law from God. They wrote down. They had now, by the time of Joshua, an encoded book of the law. This was their guide for life. This was the guide for the nation of Israel and for those who were in it. And, And so he says, follow the book of the law. Obey the book of the law. Listen, he says, if you will not obey, you won't experience my blessing. But if you'll be careful to follow all that is written in the book of the law, I will display new acts of power and I will bless you. Listen, to enter into God's promises, you've got to obey the word of God. We've got it today. In fact, we've got a whole lot more than Joshua had back then when God said obey the book of the law. We got the Old Testament, the New Testament. We got everything that is needed for life and godliness right here. And he says, if you will obey this book, if you'll follow the pattern of this book, it is the key to God blessing your life. You know, God didn't give you these laws because he's mad at you. He didn't give you these laws because he wants to limit your fun. He gave you these laws because following them is the key to life. 
If you'll obey God's word, if you'll follow God's word in your family, if you'll follow God's word in your marriage, if you'll follow God's word in your business, it is the way that God can bless his children. If you ignore it, if you don't follow it, if you don't live by it, if you disobey God's word, it will only bring hardship on your life. It is the way that God will bless our homes and bless our jobs and bless our finances and bless our health and bless our relationships. Every aspect of life can be found in the word of God. Obedience. You want to know God's promises? You want to know God's blessing? Follow the word. Follow God's pattern for living. Then third, he says, not only do we lay hold of God's promises by being strong and courageous, and we lay lay hold of of God's pattern, uh, but we also lay hold of God himself. If you're going to know the blessings of God, it's going to come from knowing God. Spending time with him. Drawing close to the Lord. Look at verse number 9. And he says there, Do not be terrified or discouraged, for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Embrace the Lord. Draw draw close to him. Joshua would move forward into a new land because he would be strong and courageous. Why could he be strong and courageous? Because God promised, I will go with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, it says in the Romans, uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? You can take the land. You can realize his promises. You can know fulfillment in life. You can understand God's blessings. You can live in a land of blessing. You don't have to live in fear and discouragement and heartache and pain. uh, Because why? God is with me. He's the one who gives the promises. He is the one who gives us his power to follow his ways. Uh, He's the one who gives us his presence to take us in. Draw close to the Lord. So if you're going to move into a place of God's promises, the word he says to the children of Israel is be strong and courageous. Three times, be strong and courageous. Lay hold of my promises. The second time, be strong and courageous. Follow my pattern. The third time, be strong and courageous because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Now, the second thing we see, though, in this, in this incredible story is it's going to require what I call a walk of faith. A walk of faith. There, uh, as you move through the book of Joshua, and I don't have time this morning, obviously, as you're going through and covering an entire book in one morning, I can't cover the entire book. There's no way I can do it justice. I can just give you the high points. But as you go through the book of Joshua, you will begin to see it is an incredible book of faith. You see it in several different examples. The, the, the one, first one you come in contact with in Joshua is a lady by the name of Rahab. And just listen to this in Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, the prostitute Rahab... Because she welcomed the spies, would not, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now let me give you the quick backdrop. Before they're going to go into the land, he sends two spies to spy out the land. Now remember, 40 years earlier, he sent out 12 spies. He says, I'm not doing 12 anymore. Ten of them came back with a bad report. We're going to find two very positive spies and we're sending them in. And they went in and they came into the city of Jericho and there they were hidden by a lady, a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Now, you wonder why he would send spies one more time. I mean, they'd already brought the fruit back 40 years earlier. They knew it was a good and blessed land, a a good and plentiful land. They knew there were walled cities in the land. They really didn't need any kind of strategy because after all, God's going to smash the walls with his own hands. And so they didn't need any kind of battle strategy. Why send the spies into the land. I believe it's because there was one lady in a city who believed in the God of Israel. And God reached down into that pagan Canaanite city. A city doomed for destruction. But because he sees the faith of one woman, he's going to send two spies. They're going to deliver her and her entire family. Why? Because she believed in God. She had faith. And I think that's what the whole spy story is all about. 
How many of you guys grew up in church in Sunday school? You know a lot of these stories are more familiar to you. Some of you are newer, and you're hearing some of these stories for the first time. You've never heard this kind of stuff before. I, was, I, I grew up in church, loved going to church, and, and my folks took me every single week. And I remember our Sunday school classes, our children's church uh, services, all that we did in, uh, as I was growing up. And the, the, the stories I liked the best in the Bible were the war stories. I was a boy. And I love to hear the war stories. I love to hear about the giants and conquering giants. And so this portion I'm getting into right now is some of my favorite port. You're going to hear about Samson. You're going to hear about David. You're going to hear about taking down giants and giants in our own lives and how they come down over these next six, seven weeks. And, and I remember they told the story of Jericho. And uh, I love to hear that story because you, you see God's mighty hand, you see the faith of the Israelites, and this story was really cool because it even had a song to go with it. How many remember that song? All right, sing it with me. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. If you really want to get good, you go down, 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 down. And then they'd, then they'd have the, the little flanograph, and, and they'd show the walled city, and they'd show this little army, and they'd move it around the walled city. And uh, then you'd get your, do your craft, and you'd get your snack, and you'd go home. And great, great day. Just a, just a great way to spend your Sunday mornings. But as I reflect back... And I remember that song, and I remember the battle stories. They left off the part about Rahab the prostitute. And, and maybe it's a good thing they did, as if for an eight, seven-year-old boy. You know, you don't want to hear all about prostitutes. Yeah, what's a prostitute, by the way? And so, you know, they left that part of the story out. Rahab's home was known as Bed, Breakfast, and Beyond. And uh, lived on the outside of the wall. And uh, she... They said, you know, if you want this house to be saved, hang out a scarlet cord and get your whole family inside of that house. I want to tell you, there is this scarlet cord that starts all the way from Genesis chapter 3 and the redemption of Adam and Eve and runs all the way through the book of Revelation. Uh, when in Revelation 19, it says, And I saw him come back on a white horse and his vesture was dripped in blood. You will see that scarlet cord throughout the entire word of God. It is God's redemptive plan. And it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary. And so you see this scarlet cord. Now turn to Joshua 6 and look at verses 24 and 25. I want to show you just a few key characters of faith. We're talking about possessing our lands. And then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron and the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. With her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And look at this last phrase. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. Listen, not only they didn't just save her and then leave her. They didn't say, now you're spared, you're not going to die, and try to get by as best you can. The Bible is very careful to say, and she lived with the Israelites all the rest of her days. In fact, she married an Israelite. Maybe one of those spies who dropped by her house that evening. She was brought literally into the family of Israel. Listen, when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you get that vertical relationship with him squared away. Uh, your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. But God always calls us into a family. That's why the church is so important. He brought them in. And she becomes, in the family of Israel, the great-great-grandmother of David. And ultimately, the great-great-great-great-great of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? How he takes the whore, a prostitute, and makes him a part, her a part of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. What incredible faith. She believed in God. So she's brought in to his family. 
And then, and then the, the, the other thing you'd see in this chapter, that, the, the book of Joshua, that really just jumps out on us, is the faith of the Israelites. They come to the Jordan River, and the Bible's very clear that the river's at flood stage. It's not the time to be crossing rivers. Uh, but he said, tell the priests to put their foot into the water. Now, the waters are still flowing. He didn't stop it ahead of time like he did at the Red Sea. The waters are still raging. Uh, they're flooding by, and they say, put your feet out of the water. But as soon as those priests, by faith, put their feet into the water, the water stopped and they walked across on dry ground. And then you see this great, big, huge walled city called Jericho. And then you begin to understand the faith it would take to bring down this incredible city. It's a massive city. The walls were 15 foot high, stone walls, 15 feet high. They were topped by mud and brick walls. They were six feet thick. And they were, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, the, 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 the first part, the stone part was 15 feet wide. Then it was covered by mud on top of that up to six feet thick. And then the wall was 18 to 24 feet high. And this is what this group with no weapons, no war, no, nothing like that from being out in the wilderness had to take down if they were going to take the promised land. Now look at their faith. Turn to Joshua 6 and verse 10 and 11. There, if we're going to have faith in God, what does that look like? I, I believe, first of all, there is what I would call a silent trusting. Where you just trust God and believe his promises and you don't have to say a word. Because God has said it all. He's done it all. And I trust and I march and I believe. Look at, look at Judges 6, 10 and 11. But Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Now, that strategy, from a warfare standpoint, looks ridiculous. Marching around a wall every day, march around the wall seven times, go home, march around the wall, go home, march around the wall, go home. It seems like a totally ridiculous, nutty strategy. Doesn't make any sense when you look at it from a military standpoint. And yet there's a lesson there. I think when the odds are stacked against us, Keep walking and don't talk about it. Because one of two things will happen. The more talking we do, we will either underestimate the promises of God. In other words, we will allow words of fear and doubt to come in. And we begin to talk and we get nervous and we get afraid. And pretty soon we're talking to the guy next to us in the army marching around. Boy, those are pretty big walls. We're going to get killed out here. We're nuts. What are we doing today? Uh, what's going on? And that fear re report spreads among the army. And so what does God say? He says, keep your mouth shut. Because the more you talk, you'll talk yourself out of God's great victory he has for you. Or here's the other option. Sometimes people talk and they overstate their own faith. I can do this. I got great faith. I'm an incredible leader, incredible uh, giant killer. I can do anything. And pretty soon we can begin to act super spiritual and we brag about how good our faith is or how strong we are. And there are a lot of people today who focus on what I call super faith, not God's strength. To where they almost get to the point that we can command God with the words of our mouth. Now there's a very dangerous doctrine teaching that says if i speak it if i say it it's got to be because i said it almost as if we can command god what he's going to do or what he's not going to do and so you get into this almost hyper faith movement that whatever i say god has to be my beck and servant both extremes are wrong you just simply march and walk in a, time, in a silent trusting that God is leading every step of the way. Can you imagine the watchman on the wall, that scene that must have occurred when they see this whole million people of Israel coming, and they're going to gather, and they're going to march around this city, and they're looking out at the front gate, and they say, here they come, get ready, get everybody on the front of the wall, they're coming now, get your defenses ready, and all of a sudden they get to the front of the wall, and they turn, and they take a left, and then they take another left, and they're going around the city, and... Uh, they all, all of a sudden, the whole army marches to this wall. Quick, they're coming over here. They're attacking the back wall. And then they move to the other wall. And they go all around. And they go home that day. And nothing happens. 
Can you imagine the taunting and the jeers and the making fun of those guys and the laughing at them that must have occurred? But it says in Hebrews 11.30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell and the people had marched around them for seven days. What incredible faith. Jericho was a wicked Canaanite city. I believe Jericho for us today is a type of the world. The world that fights against the church. The, the, the world that's strong and, and foreboding and so fearful. But listen to 1 John 5 and 4. Everyone born of God has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. And then he adds this line. Even our faith. Faith is the key to victory to overcoming the world. And we may not understand all of God's ways. We may not understand why we're doing what we're doing or or why he's taking us on a particular route. Uh, But keep on marching and trusting God and believing God. Don't doubt. Don't argue. Don't complain. Keep walking in faith and obedience. And God will bring the victory. So there is this, there's this silent, strong, Trusting in God that must take place in our life if we're going to obtain the promises. But second, there's the almost the opposite side of that. There is a joyful sound of praise. Jump down, if you would, to verse number 20 of chapter 6. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. Now it's time to shout. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. Now, every day when they marched around the walls, they would blow a trumpet. And then the last day they blew it and everybody shouted. So they were allowed to speak. They were allowed to talk and and offer up that praise. The trumpet is not the typical instrument you use for marching. Drums are used for marching. Because when you beat the drums, it keeps the marchers in the same cadence as they walk around the wall or as they march in the band or whatever. It's the drums that keep them in beat beat, and and in time and in step. But here he says, I want you to blow the trumpet. Not typically used. And yet the trumpet, listen to me, is a wind instrument. It is the wind that propels the noise. Uh, The word for spirit in the Old Testament is the same word for wind. It's the same word for breath. It's the same word for spirit. It's found both in the Greek language uh, and in the Hebrew language. Uh, Listen to what the word of God says. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Uh, and so you have this imagery of them blowing the trumpet, the wind instrument. Uh, and you have this scene of continual praise uh, going on. Uh, listen, when you begin to praise uh, and glorify the Lord, uh, it allows the Spirit of God to come down and move in our midst, in our lives, in our situation. There is nothing like continual praise during the time of trial. That will keep your eyes on the one who holds the key to victory. And so we praise the Lord. And we glorify him. Listen to what it says in Psalm 47 and 1. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Uh, And so they let out the shout and God crushed down the walls. Uh, And so when you can praise God in the heat of battle. It is a great declaration of your faith in God. When you're in the middle of battle. When you're in the middle of warfare, when things are tough all around you and you can still praise the Lord, it's a declaration of your faith in him. God is in control. I've got an assistant that's going to help me this morning. Nathan, where are you at? Nathan Oliver. Nathan Oliver. Is he here? I'm looking for him. I think he's going to help me. Laurel and Nathan. Here they come. I hear him. Nathan Oliver is a student at Accelerate Ministry College, and uh, Laurel is going to help as well. Laurel is his assistant, trusty assistant. Nathan has knows the, uh, what is it, karate, jiu-jitsu, one of those things, uh, martial arts, something like that. So he can do all this karate stuff. So right now, Nathan is going to break this board that Pastor Laurel has, and uh, watch how he does it. Observe his breaking of the board. Oh, I better get back. Whoa! 
Man, look at that. Way to go. That is amazing. I could not do that. I would break my hand. Now, I want you, I want, did you notice something? When he did that move to break the board, he let out a shout. There are three reasons that someone would let out a shout. And I want to give you those three. And I believe it's such a, and this is in karate. When someone lets out a shout, there's three reasons that does that. Number one, it startles the enemy. So when you're in combat or something like that, you let out that shout, yeah! The enemy starts running. He gets afraid, man. He thinks you know something. He's out of there. It startles the enemy. The second reason they let out that shout is it focus all your energy on the board, on the object you are hitting. And so it's kind of the way you bring your energy into center and you focus it and you drive through that board. And so it focuses your energy on that object of attack. And then number three, they, one reason they let out the shout, and this is one reason I'd probably be shouting, is it blocks out the pain. It blocks out the pain. And so those are the three reasons that in the martial arts they would let out a shout. It startles the enemy, focuses the attention, and blocks out the pain. I want to propose to you this morning that when we let out a shout of praise, it does those very same three things. What's it do? It startles the enemy. The devil's got to run. He's got to flee because we are praising and glorifying the Lord. What does it do? It focuses our attention on the object that's going to come down. Hallelujah. And number three, it blocks out the pain, uh, the circumstances, the situation you're in. When you are praising the Lord, your eyes are on him. It's not on your pain. Turn to Psalm 149. It says it very clearly right there. This is a great psalm of praise. This is exactly what the power of praise can do in our lives. And I'll just read the last three verses for time's sake. Verse number six. May the praise of our mouth... May the praise of God be in their mouth a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. Now, when we, he says, the word of your mouth, when when it's come out as praise, a declaration of faith, it inflicts judgment and vengeance on the enemy. To bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackers of iron. To carry out the sentence written against them. Now, how many know the enemy is sentenced to death? He's sentenced to hell. He's sentenced already. When we praise the Lord, when we glorify God, we are carrying out that sentence pronounced against him. This is the glory of all the saints. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The shout of praise clapping our hands that clap of praise we just clap we clap we sing the song of praise the voice of praise the shout of praise is is a every time we do that we are declaring god's victory Every time we praise the Lord and glorify him, we are declaring his victory. The victory on the cross and the blood that was shed to expel the powers of darkness. Praise the Lord. Oppression, depression has to go. That's why he says, put on the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So if you are in depression, if you have anxiety, if you have fear, the best way to overcome that is to praise the Lord with all that is within you, to glorify God. And all that giant, all that stuff has to come down. And when you begin to praise and glorify God, he takes his mighty hand and he shoves that wall, that obstacle, that barrier right into the ground. The bulwark of fear and pride and doubt and strife and bitterness and poverty and pain and and, and brokenness will come down as we glorify and praise the Lord. So the book of Joshua. Number one, be strong and courageous. And number two, walk in faith. Walk in faith. Demonstrate that faith. 
and we demonstrate that faith by marching with a steadfast, resolute dependence on God and praising and glorifying the Lord and lifting our voices. And then we'll see, and the walls come tumbling down, 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 down. I had to do it one more time. It was such a hit earlier. Obviously, it didn't work quite as good the second time. Israel is going to now begin to take city after city. They're going to move through this this land that God had promised to Abraham 600 years earlier. And eventually they would conquer the land. And and like Moses before him, Joshua is going to give his farewell speech. And he gets the nation together, and he's also about to pass off the scene. And I want you to hear these few words. Turn to Joshua chapter 24 and look at verse number 14. And this is the challenge I want to leave with you this morning. Joshua 24 and verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he makes this incredible statement. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's all stand together. I want us all to say that last line together at one time with me. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. One more time, make it a declaration. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Listen, you got a choice to make. You weren't there, but I want you to picture yourself right now on the bank, uh, in, the, in the promised land. Walled cities all around, giants all around, but you've got to make a choice. Canaanite idols all around. Canaanite gods all around. But I want you to think about the choice you're called to make. We live in a world that's a wreck, that's a mess. But we've got to determine, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the gods of this age, the gods of this world, the gods all around us in America today. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.